Welcome to the Scott Shepard Podcast. I am a man on a mission to create an army of independent writers, creators, and thinkers who make a hell of a living doing what they love. And it all starts with one thing, and that is doing things the old way, the hard way, the deliberate way, the anti-net way. Listen in as I share thoughts and rants of what goes on behind the scenes as I create an independent knowledge empire where I get to spend my days doing what I love, reading, writing, and thinking while making a hell of a living and helping my people do the same. Hey, what's up, friend? Welcome back to another episode of The Daily Scott Shepper. Today's episode is number 216, coming to you from One American Plaza in downtown San Diego. And I found myself writing for the past maybe hour and a half or so. And I got to the office late because, well, I was taking care of some errands and I had a fun night last night. Celebrated my parents' um, 40th anniversary, marriage anniversary, and we went out as a family with my sister as well, who's technically part of my family. Uh, <laughs> I'm just kidding. I mean, she's she's my sister. I always have to... And younger sister, by the way, so I always have to, you know, make sure to deride her, especially if it's publicly or even semi-publicly, like, I guess what this is. And so, yeah, it's late. It's a, well, it was Monday when I, it's my Monday, basically, but it's a a Tuesday at 12.49 a.m. technically. And that is the setting in which I shall reveal to you the most annoying cliffhanger that I ever left off with, which was what I left you with yesterday. And that cliffhanger was essentially the dirty little secret, the even dirtier little secret, let's just say, of Nicholas Lumen. And this is something that goes often unmentioned and really glossed over, quite frankly. It was not even mentioned in, to my knowledge, Sanke Arenz's book on note-taking, the Arenzian note-taking gospel. And it's something that is quite often left out of a lot of Lumen's work, and especially as it applies to Zettelkasten, because for some reason people don't, do not think that this is um, of particular importance. But what you are going to find out, it is that it is of particular importance to why Lumen's writing was so pedantic, academic, complex, and unapologetically so. It's because he was essentially incentivized to make it difficult to understand so that only those of the level of thought, of critical thought, could actually decipher it and read it. And so there are several reasons why his writing was like considered soporific or soporific, yeah, soporific, however it is uh, pronounced. And to what degree on different areas of each of his pieces of writing being, well, being essentially the cause of his sleep-inducing writing is unclear, of course. 
However, the most prominent and important and critical reason that his academic style of writing was so unapologetically so was because he was incentivized to do it and keep it that way in order to protect one thing, his life. You see, here's the dirty little secret. Something not often mentioned, at least by Sanke Ahrens, is the fact that Nicholas Luhmann was a Nazi. <laughs> yes, technically, he was a Nazi. Yet, before you affix a scarlet letter on him or wish upon him the inglorious bastard's treatment upon his forehead, meaning having it carved with a knife in the shape of a swastika and have it bleed all over his face, inglorious bastard's style, you should at least know why he was a Nazi. You see... In 1943, in January 22nd, 1943, to be exact, Nazi Germany was in war, in, in crisis even. They needed help. And they issued a decree wherein anyone born at a certain time period in the years, well, the years were, in, this, in the years essentially 1926 or 1927, they were what is called conscripted which basically means that they were given the early honor to be required, and I say early honored in air quotes, they were basically be given the early honor and were required to serve their country in the war. And they essentially conscripted, which basically means to you know, force children to serve in the military, but they, they forced them to be assistants, like helpers in the military. And Lumen was the assistant for the branch of the military of the Nazis called the Luf, uh, Luftwaffe, which was the renowned air force and planes and fleet that the Nazi army concocted. And he was what is called the Luften or the Luftwaffenhelfer, which, and by the way, my, my German ancestors are rolling in their graves right now, um, screaming some <laughs> German obsidian, uh, obscenity. Uh, so Lumen was essentially conscripted into the Air Force assistance, their um, Air Force help. And, of course, the people in the 15 and 16-year-olds and 17-year-olds who they drafted uh, was, you know, the official doctrine, but Americans, of course, re reported capturing children as young as eight years old when they... Uh, actually ended up winning the world the war um, or the allies when they won the war 
And so essentially you were ordered, if you are German at the time, if you were born in the years 1926 or 1927, and later it continued to go younger and younger, if you were born that year, you were essentially conscripted, right? Here's the thing. Nicholas Luhmann was born December 8th, 1927. That mean, or that essentially meant when he was 15, he became a Nazi, officially joined the Nazi ranks of the Luftwaffe, serving as an assistant, as a helper. And several years later, and very soon after that, maybe a year and a half or about, yeah, probably about a year and a half, two years after he was conscripted as a soldier, he was then moved to become a, a front soldier, and he was captured and became a POW by Americans. Yet he was lucky because being that Lumen was so young, being that at the time of his capture, he was 17 years old. And he, you know, just recently had turned 17 years old. He was released shortly after, meaning, I don't know what it was. I don't speak German and I can't get the books in German right now. But he was held for a very, very short period of time, or let's just say a short period of time. However, he was subjected to treatment during that time that was, let's just say, not particularly compliant with the Geneva Convention. And you see the Geneva Convention outlines provisions for the treatment of POWs. They do this in order for them to receive honor and respect. They want the POWs to, on both sides, to receive honor and respect. They do not want them to be tortured. Well, apparently the words of honor and respect were interpreted as, well, instructions to viciously beat the living hell out of prisoners. And these victims included Lumen. Yet even worse punishments awaited his friends over the age of 18, which Lumen, luckily, was not 18 yet. He was so young. His friends, on the other hand, were not as fortunate. They were sent to French mines and forced into slave labor and more beatings on the regular. And Lumen actually, in his adult life, held these memories in his mind and even perhaps on his body. And even though one would expect or think that this experience of essentially a violation of human rights and being tortured would sway him to, well, side with the very, uh, at the time, uh, new humanist movement, liberal human rights, and the liberal sociology 
don't know, society, so, uh, society, environmental um, climate, right? Because Lumen had definitely put skin in the game and left skin in the game, literally and metaphorically. And so he had an interest in, well, quite frankly, wishing and wanting that there were actually protections that were provided for child conscripted soldiers and humans that were forced into labor, right? Yet his intellectual theory on society essentially proposes some radical notions, such as, well, first, the notion that sociology is not necessarily even about people, and society is not even about people. It's not even about ideals, but it's essentially an element, a component, an offshoot, and something that emerges due to environmental factors. Essentially, one could say, and this is what Lumen has, well, shown quite, quite convincingly, is that one would be pressed to think that sociology is not necessarily a people-based system. It's an environmental-based system. It's an ecological-based system. And that was quite radical at the time. It was quite anti-conservative at the time. And in post-Nazi Germany, the academic community was very, very, very careful about not appearing conservative, lest one go the extreme route and be conservative to the point of having a completely dominant, single, conservative government overarching entity, right? So the thing is, is that Lumen also held that the polar extremes in society, meaning the two poles, like you cannot just go 100% liberal, one-party system, because that would actually be counter-effective and counterproductive. And so Lumen held that, you know, the conservative polar extreme is actually quite necessary for society to be peaceful and for it to function. Yet, because of the ideologically extremely cautious German academic community, you know, after the Nazi disaster, one had to be extremely deliberate to not cause uproar and not incite negative attention, especially to their university. And one could quickly and easily sound the alarms on anything disagreeable as, well, Nazi propaganda or covert Nazi propaganda resurfacing. And for this reason, one, especially academics, were wise to protect themselves by writing in prose only understandable by 
those that were intellectually advanced enough, those that could actually decipher and understand the rationale behind the text. And they did this by ensuring that only those with the diligence to follow the heavily packed prose that Lumen created when he wrote books, and and by created I mean and employed and, and used, and it required that the reader was able to unpack such heavily packed, deep, complex prose. They had to unpack every single little bit of it. And if they did, they weren't even finished. They would only stand as the ones capable of even, well, chewing it over and thinking on the idea and letting it sit in hopes of being able to truly understand Lumen's work. And so the academic prose, it was just one line of defense. It protected him, and by him I mean Lumen, from ostracization, ostracization, I don't know, whatever, right? He was not looking to get ostracized and, well, cause a huge uproar at his university. And though he was and way more committed to intellectual honesty and, well, stating and reasoning, he would not sacrifice his values and his beliefs either. And so thereby he was almost incentivized to, well, state his truth and state his points, but not make it way too easy for the common public and especially in other areas to misinterpret him. So he needed to use prose and create very detailed and, quite frankly, text and books that were aimed and only aimed by German social sciences individuals, right, in the academic realm. So he not only needed to avoid this ostracization, ostracization, whatever, I can't pronounce that freaking word right now, uh, from the Allies, like Americans. So he not only needed to prevent stirring up a huge, huge, huge catastrophe and in the press with the former Allies, right? Or the Allies, right? But even more pertinent, it became critical to not offend the German academic community who actually could read his work because it was written in German, right? 
So in post-Germany, in post-Nazi Germany, the academic community sought to distance itself, as I've said, from the extreme conservatism and adopt a more liberal and radical and idealistic openness to social movements. Yet the blind adoption of such was not an option to Lumen. You know, even though he had every right to side with the liberal humanistic ideals, like I just said earlier, because of his you know, being tortured, essentially, as a, as a POW at age 17, right? In light of his personal experience with this, with his 17-year-old self getting tortured, Lumen pressed forth, and he proposed quite unconventional and deeply fascinating thinking. You see, his theory poked holes and challenged the widely and, well, quite frankly, most commonly the blindly accepted definitions and the blindly accepted models for concepts that propped up the social sciences and sociology field at the time. And these models were concepts like justice and equality, democracy, stability, among others, right? Hey, Scott Shepard here. Real quick, this podcast is sponsored by me. Yes, me, Sir Scott of Shepard. I am committed to never shilling some dildo hipster crappy freaking product like all the other podcasters do. All right? My only ask, however, is that you spend 10 seconds right now. Literally pull to the side of the freaking road, the freeway. Stop. (laughs) Rate and review this podcast. Share it with a friend. This will help me spread my movement. You see, I want to create an army of 1,000 independent writers, creators, and thinkers who get to spend their days writing and creating using analog tools while making multiple six figures if they even need to, and more importantly, building a tribe of people that they were called to build, okay? And I want you to rate and review this podcast because it will directly help me in this mission. That's all I ask. All right, now back to the regularly scheduled program. Peace. The only problem was that Lumen dug deep into each of these definitions and found essentially logical and rational gaps in the thinking and problems with it. And make no mistake, he was not essentially trying to freaking, uh, you know, prop up and make a case for Nazism. No, like that was not on his agenda at all. He was theoretically obsessed and fascinated with the logic and rationale of the field in order to not take shortcuts, in order to not fall into catastrophes of thought and thinking that would, well, lead more children and 17-year-olds and, well, more people into war 
and lo- and essentially lead more people into this extremist notions of uh, one-party systems. And Lumen's critics quickly became outraged. <laughs> it started slowly, but it grew. But there was only one problem. Lumen's critics, meaning the liberal, humanistic, post-Nazi proponents who very, very, very adamantly wished to distance themselves with anything whatsoever that was even close to sniffing of conservative Nazism. Well, such people, when they read Lumen, even even if the ones that understood him and could piece it together, the infuriating thing, and here's one of Lumen's trolling nature properties, is they couldn't prove Lumen was wrong. <laughs> one scholar writes that Lumen's accusers have been so incensed, so furious by the positions that Lumen outlined, which supposedly went, quote, against their radical humanist or social reformist positions, end quote. It conflicted so much with that, that Lumen was practically, quote, demonized. He was demonized by the proponents of the liberal humanist ideals that wanted to distance themselves from anything even remotely close to conservative conservatism, conservativism, yeah, and Nazism. And those who disagreed with Lumen were quick to label him and group him into the conservative category even though they didn't really truly understand him. And if he was lumped into the conservative category, that was actually, well, quite tame and quite gentlemanly treatment. Because the even worse thing that he would be called or hinted at, probably... essentially, unofficially and informally, was that he was secretly housing Nazi notions. And it was much easier to group him into the conservative Nazi category than to try to understand him (laughs) and try to understand his prose and try to understand exactly what he was saying. See, one group of scholars conducted a very in-depth research paper, and they described this phenomenon and determined that, that such critics both misunderstood and misrepresented the motives which essentially lie behind Lumen's skepticism about moral, scientific, and social improvement. These scholars went on to assert that the critics of Lumen's theories must only be done and a thorough critical analysis must only be done after a thorough and in-depth examination of Lumen's writing. 
But the problem was that Lumen's eclecticism and its essentially the character of his writing in the fields, which spanned and spread across such a wide range of disciplinary fields that were so eloquently molded and meshed together, well, it made it nearly impossible to actually categorize Lumen. And, well, it made it impossible to thoroughly and adequately and easily, without much research, understand him. Because, quote, his work refuses to fit neatly into pre-existing categories. The scholars of this paper, they observed that this problem, that Lumen can't be just pigeonholed into specific pre-existing disciplinary fields and categories, it's essentially compounded by the fact that Lumen weaves together several different strands of theoretical reflection derived from quite different intellectual disciplines. And the theories within the disciplines are also quite eclectic and weaved together in an almost, well, unhuman-like manner. How in the heck was someone able to string together so many profound thoughts from so many di- different fields? I think if you've listened to my episodes, you have a pretty good idea of what the answer is. It rests within the antinet, the luminesque antinet, the true Zettelkasten, which is an antinet Zettelkasten, which is an analog thinking interconnected network of thoughts that work in a very specific and certain way. And while Lumen's writing style was profoundly academic, the good thing was is that during this time period in post-Nazi World War II era of Germany, it was almost a requirement for one to be taken seriously as a scholar in Germany's academic community to write in a very pedantic, wordy, verbose, academic prose. You see, for Germany, the environment of academically pretentious, soporific authors is how one essentially is able to exhibit how intelligent they are. And that's not just me proposing this notion. This is from the researchers and from those who have written books and studied Lumen and studied why his writing style was so academic. You see, the greatness of Lumen's work in Germany, it was incentivized and correlated with how inaccessible and how difficult it was to actually penetrate and to understand. There's one instance where the the author of one uh, book on Lumen writes about how even today, a colleague of his went to a a social sciences, a sociology seminar, 
and you know a, a lecture and he came back all excited and thrilled why because the kid could not understand a single freaking word of what was being said and what that meant was that there's something new to be learned and someone is challenging you right and so that is almost the the nature of the culture of the academic setting in which Lumen was publishing and Lumen had to publish. You see, the more ridiculously challenging it was to understand, the better the mind was, essentially, who created it. That was the subcommunication that one essentially relied on and one, well, operated in when they were an academic in the sociology community of that time. And so because of this, and because of the incentivization for Lumen to not make it so easily construed for the general common public, and I don't think I need to go into all the reasons for why we should not essentially cater to <laughs> uh, very, very surface-level brief uh, information consumption by a super broad audience when people don't spend the time to actually read and understand and they're, well, quicker to take violent action. Well, that was the reason, a core reason, for why Lumen's writing and his books were so bad. However, there were a few others, but I've gone on long enough, and I at least think that with what I've just dropped on you, especially if that's the first time that you've actually ever heard of Lumen's, well, <laughs> being a essentially technically a Nazi at... Uh, 15 years old is essentially when he was conscripted into the Nazi Air Force as an assistant. Well, I've dropped a lot on you, so I'm not going to go any further. But what I will tell you is this, that you should always remember to stay crispy, my friend. Scott Shepard, let's see what time it is, signing off. Oh, wow. Okay. We've had a nice little long episode, my friend. So I'll, I'm I'm signing off. Scott Shepard signing off at one twenty one a.m. It ain't easy being cheesy, ladies and gentlemen. And that said, there's no excuses. Period. Show up every day. Ship every day. Make it happen, and have fun doing it. Thanks for tuning in, and I'll see you tomorrow. Peace. Hey, real quick. This podcast was made possible by my sponsor, which is me. Yes, frickin' me, Sir Scott of Shepherd. You see, I am committed to never shilling some dildo-freaking hipster crappy product like all the other podcasters do. All right? 
So my only ask is that you spend 10 seconds right now, pull to the side of the road, even if you're on the freaking freeway, and rate and review this podcast. Then share it with a friend. That's my only ask. You see, this will help spread my movement. I want to create an army of 1,000 independent writers, creators, and thinkers who get to spend their days doing what they love, writing, creating, thinking, and taking notes using analog tools, while also making multiple six figures if they even choose to. And more importantly, I want to help my people build a tribe, a tribe of people that they were meant to serve. And so by rating and reviewing this podcast right now, you will directly help me and many others in achieving this mission. Peace.